Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear left turkey national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta So, Jeb, here's what I want to know, Jeb. I, I want to know, are you more disturbed by flying squid or A380s being ugly? I, well, they're, they're both equally... Um, disturbing. I equally uh, uh, um, worthy of comment, I think. Okay. Uh, I think yeah. that the, the A380 <laughs> the A380 being ugly is, is something we've you know, decided and in, 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 in hashed out before. Um, we now have you know, kind of a um, uh, an, uh, column A, column B comparison uh, of various pictures that uh, I think it was Patrick Smith. Uh, yeah, uh, see, no, so. Okay, yeah, it's Patrick, Patrick Smith's website. Um, um, but uh, the flying squid thing is, is like, okay, fine, I give up. Um, <laughs> so tell because... us the story. What's the story with flying squid? <laughs> well, the, 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 this is uh, uh, treehugger.com, which kind of gives you a, uh, the flavor of, of the orientation here. Um, but um, um, going back almost 10 years now, apparently, um, a, a biologist – uh, uh, or a boat, uh, a biologist was on a boat, I should say, and uh, took some pictures of what appeared to be squid um, jumping out of the ocean and and gliding over the water, and, and then maybe you know, obviously you know, kind of landing back in the water and uh-huh. kind of repeating this this thing, and like kind of like a flying fish would do, or or um, um, uh, maybe I don't know, flying squirrel kind of deal, you know? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, okay, fine. You know, people are like what, huh? What? You know, no, we need, no, we need, need more proof of this because we're not we're not prepared to admit that squid can fly. And these were not you know giant squid like you like you see in some of the horror flicks or anything like that. These are you know smaller squid. Um, I don't know how big they are. The the pictures here on this this particular website on on treehugger dot com um, aren't. There's there's little way to tell the scale of the of the um, the creatures here, but um, there's lots more photographic evidence here, and in fact, um, there is some speculation that as of course you know squid have um, um, they, they suck in seawater into their bodies and expel it as a means of propulsion when they're in the water. There is speculation here that. These particular squid, and, and there's only um, 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 six or so um, species known to do this, um, some speculation that they're actually sucking in water while they're in the water and then expelling it as they're in the air, giving them some additional propulsion. And I find the whole thing is just 
uh, too much to deal with today. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this is just too much. Um, my only concern is, you know, are, are they able to like fly into a frying pan and slice themselves <laughs> yeah, up and, and bread themselves all at the same time? That would be genetically interesting. Now, David, oh, now that's, called- that, that's that's one I want to see on a seafood restaurant menu. I know, yeah, flying calamari. Yeah, that's right. Now, David is just and uh, see, I tried to match up flying squids with ugly A thirty eight three eighties. David called our attention to the one I should have matched it up with. The other story that was in the news that isn't even on our list um, over the past week is this whole flying snake story. Have you guys seen this one? I have not seen the flying snake snake story, no. This is apparently, David, is this real or is this some sort of fourth? Yep. Ge- this is na- this is National Geographic, baby. This is real. <laughs> I saw a little blurb on it a couple of days ago, just before Thanksgiving, and uh, it intrigued me so much that I had to go... You know, double check is this, you know, check it out on Snopes and fact check. And it, it traced me back to a National Geographic article and the research that they underwrote. This guy photographed snakes flying in a jungle. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, these really are kind of like flying squirrel kind of flying snakes, right? Do we have a link? Do we have a link to this? Yeah, he, he tried to send you a link through Skype. Do you know how to use Skype uh-huh. enough yet to? Uh... Do I know how to? Do I know how to use Skype? I heard, you know, something beeped. Okay. Yeah, and so someplace in Skype, there's a link that you can click on. Let me see if I can get it to you somehow. (laughs) Um, Ah, now I have it. Now I have it. Okay. Flying snakes. Yeah, okay. Flying snakes. Okay, browser. Yeah, okay. Y'all shut up now. (laughs) So, David, these are like flying squirrel kinds of flying snakes, right? Yeah. They're like gliding on their, their, I don't know what, you know. Artificially they're, enhanced, widened bodies, or something like that. They flatten their bodies out and create this kind of S shape that uh, apparently generates lift, so that they can launch themselves out of a high tree and glide about eight times farther than they would just fall if they'd just fallen out of that tree just, and land on a lower tree limb. So we're talking about snakes here with about an eight to one glide ratio. I don't care what you say about flying squids or A380s. This flying snake thing creeps me out more than I can tell you. This is just and, disturbing. And, 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 yeah. to, you see, an A to one glide ratio is probably better than the A380. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then um, the A380s need all the glide ratio they can get these days. So uh, with, with flying squid and flying snakes, after this episode is in the can, I think I'm going to pull a Howard Hughes and just go hibernate. Okay, yeah, I know because. I, <laughs> There is there is no reason to live anymore. Um, There's no reason to go out, no reason to do anything because you know if it's not the robots and Skynet's going to get us, it's the freaking flying uh, uh, seaborne animals. I know. Um, Well, you know, are flying squid in ground effect or in water effect when they're in the air? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. It it depends on their wingspan. And, and of course, (laughs) I don't – what I want to know is how much thrust are they actually creating by expelling seawater out of their bodies uh, both while they're in the water and (laughs) – yeah. While they're in the air, I mean, there's going to be a static thrust thing. Somebody here. must have and, done the know, science on this. I'm sure. So, you know. Somebody needs to do the science on this. If not, and and uh, and are these squid in fact uh, trainable? Can they in fact you know jump into a frying pan or jump onto a cutting board? I, like these, the, these are questions that I need to know. Yeah, be there, like, there be are like, just so many directions inappropriate for the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, welcome, folks, to episode 214 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Friday morning, November 26th, 2010, and uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar, fortunately, no flying snakes, but uh, uh, two good friends of mine. Um, I When I first saw that story, I thought it was a, it was a kind of a follow-on to the whole, you know, snakes on a plane thing. I didn't realize it. <laughs> it was real flying snakes. What's here in the with hangar, all the mother bleeping snakes on this mother bleeping? Bleeping, mother bleeping plane. And that, uh, that is uh, Dave Higdon, my good friend, uh, who is here uh, joining us from uh, Wichita, Kansas. How you doing this morning, Dave? Snake-free, yeah, flying snake-free since 1991. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on in Wichita these days, David? Uh, well, we just had a, 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 a rather lovely and, and briskly cold Thanksgiving yesterday, and... Uh, Today is uh, promising to be warm enough to actually shed the hobo long johns when we walk the dog. So, uh-huh. yeah, hobo yeah. long johns are blue jeans and under sweatpants. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and speaking I'm, I'm of, glad you clarified that. Thank you. And speaking of warm weather gear, uh, also joining us here this morning is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing this morning, Jeb? I'm fine. I have this overwhelming urge to order some appetizers, though. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. Right. That's, it is. It's nine little, o'clock in the morning, little, though. It's like... little calamari, and in place of the uh, flying snake, how about some uh, uh, escargot? All of the above, but we got to have you know some a pitcher of Bloody Marys with which to wash it and, all down, and, and some gator tail. I mean, you know, you could harvest yeah. right there in your yard. That's right. That's right. If you hear if you hear a loud blast while we're recording this, yeah, uh, the free gator tail tomorrow. Okay. All right. Good deal. Good deal. <laughs> Hey, and before I forget, I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm talking to you from the UCAP Autumn Headquarters, back home again here, high atop Lookout Point in cold, wet, and rainy Nottingham, New Hampshire. Lookout. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to have to use that somehow. Um, yeah. It, it's, uh, reinforce your point, Jack. Yeah. The A380 is ugly. Uh, well, that's Jeb's point. I, I I don't disagree, but Jeb's the one who holds this passionate opinion, and uh, I don't know how passionate it is. Oh, um, I've been listening. I I, I generally just try to ignore the A380 unless yeah. you know unless I'm getting on Commandos or something. Yeah. But uh, um, no, I mean. Well, but here's, lately, lately here's a, here's a yeah. You know, here, Smith who uh, um, has a website uh, called Ask the Pilot. He's a columnist on Salon.com and. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what his day job is. Um, kind of vague, but he he does fly for a living. Um, and I don't know how why he did this or what was the uh, the catalyst for this, but he put together a web a web page uh, with uh, comparing uh, uh, images of the A380 and the 747. There's there's two great profile views. Uh, of the aircraft, one in Air France colors, the other one in, in British Airways colors. So you're still talking, you know, white base with with red and blue trim, and the the pictures are the images are pretty much to scale as far as uh, uh, showing the the profile view and in the in, um, uh, in, in the right um, um, size and whatnot. And the two, it's it's just clear. I mean, the 747 is a much better looking airplane. Um, this is the seven four four hundred, so it's got the extended upper deck and the and the winglets and what, not. The eighty just looks 
I don't know, overstuffed. I don't know what the yeah. Well, and but of course now, these days if you're flying Qantas, you're not flying A380s, right? Are they- well, this is true. This is true, and, and I I don't know about other uh, operators of the 380. However many there are at this time, um, Qantas is um, you know, reported in the popular press here over the last week to ten days. Of course, it's been a while since we did an episode, but uh, uh, had a, a catastrophic engine failure on one of their 380s. Uh, powered by Rolls-Royce engines, and um, before the smoke cleared, literally and figuratively, uh, had a had a rough time getting it back on the ground, and and the airplane hasn't flown since, and you know some substantial damage and right. and, and all that kind of thing. Not Qantas, simply that particular airplane, but their entire well, fleet, yeah, right? in, in response, yeah, Qantas immediately grounded. Uh, I don't know immediately, but grounded their entire um, uh, A380 fleet to uh, figure out what went wrong here, and. Uh, uh, there's still some head scratching going on. Um, I haven't been following it as closely as, I'm, as I should have, perhaps, to talk about it on the podcast. It may have been resolved by now, and, and Qantas's 380s may have re- returned the air. I don't know. Not it, not as of a couple of days ago. Okay, all right. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, Rolls Royce uh, Trent 900 engine is. Uh, it is being checked three ways from Sunday because yeah. the uh, the photographs of what came apart on that engine, and then the photographs and diagrams of the actual physical injury to the airframe, are really really stunning. Your uh, pieces went through the main spar yeah. on the wing of that airplane. Yeah. Uh, I, took I, out I, a fuel line the size of my forearm. Uh, and and they had to deal with it for I guess ninety minutes before they got that puppy back on the ground. Was it that long? I know they you know had to go dump fuel and you know all that kind of. Although they if you're not going to use the airplane again, why do you need to dump fuel? But they uh, they, uh, they uh, I, uh, I don't ninety minutes uh, because by the time they got back on the ground, then and they couldn't get one engine to shut off when it was uh-huh. supposed to, uh-huh. and it started to overwrite. The two-hour-long cockpit voice recorder. Wow! Really? They, I, they lost the first twenty minutes or so of the crisis because of I, that. I haven't seen any official uh, an official. And this this was a um, an aircraft departing Australia, I believe, for um, uh, for the U.S. I'm not I'm not totally positive on that, but it's an Australian um, airspace and an Australian regulatory issue. So it's Australian. Um, um, Transportation Safety Board, whatever they call it down there, that, that would be doing the investigation on this. I haven't seen anything official um, from that investigation, but I have seen, you know, some some of the um, uh, your basic. Uh, here's what really happened in the cockpit, kind of emails, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, one of them, which again, I haven't seen anything official. One of them said that, uh, in addition to the two crew members, um, there were uh, three other. Um, rated A380 typed and rated pilots in the cockpit sitting in the jump seats. Apparently, there's a lot of jump seats in the 380. So. Well, yeah. um, and they were all, uh, if I can use this phrase, assholes and elbows, uh, getting um, um, getting that airplane back on the ground uh, without any injuries or any further damage. And, uh, you know, hats off to them for all, um, yeah. by all means. But at the same time, they, they clearly had their hands full. And I kind of wonder what would have happened if there had been only two crew members. Yes. Yeah, it, it, and, and two of those guys were uh, training pilots slash check uh, right. aviators for the airline. Uh, yeah, they, they, they were. They, they were. 
lot of skill sets in there. They, they were as senior a, a group of people on the 380 as you could probably uh, hope for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you think and you think this engine thing is all a result of the fact that it's an ugly airplane? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. It, it's a it, it, it's it, a it, fugly it, airplane. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. But the engine thing is is has nothing to do with its appearance or its uh, aesthetics. Okay. <laughs> you take me so seriously, David. I don't understand. Um, okay, uh, I, I, it's an interesting story. I'd like to hear more about it. Apparently, the we don't have any 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 real knowledge in the hangar this morning, as usual. Uh, and, yeah, uh, as usual. Yeah. Um, of course, but, maybe the maybe the way to get from Australia to to the U.S. is to just hop on a couple of flying squid. And, and, yeah, and, there you go. You know, you're not going to have any engines blow up okay. that way. I, right. I, I I don't know. You know. Yeah. All right then. Well, um, and David, you can so, escape on your flying snake. Yeah. Did no? Ooh, no. Ooh. Um, David. Now, did, now this would be interesting. Now, okay, who can fly the fastest and the farthest? A flying squid or a flying snake? Ooh, it's a contest. Ooh. It's a reality series. All right, it's the next big. That, thing. That's even better than an air coop race. And does the winner get to eat the loser? <laughs> David, you uh, so David, you just discovered that uh, that if you uh, rely on autopilots and and uh, fancy av- avionics uh, stuff, you become a less good pilot. Uh, that seems to be the conclusion. Duh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is our federal dollars at work, all right? They're don't, telling don't. you if if you don't practice flying a lot, you won't be as good a pilot. Don't act oh, too we, sanguine about this now. We've yeah, got right. this FAA study from yeah. back in 1996 titled The Interfaces Between Flight Crews and Modern Flight Deck Systems. Wait a minute. This is a 1996 study, and it's being updated to reflect the age of the the being to reflect the age of the modern flight deck with glass everywhere, flight management systems everywhere. Uh, This has been a contention of flight instructors, Czech airmen, uh, and safety safety gurus. Since I think the advent of the first Sperry autopilot, uh, that relying on this ever too ever too much uh, kind of cuts into your hand flying skills, uh, which you may need at a crisis moment, like when the flight management system or the autopilot no longer works. So the uh, Wall Street Journal reported a, a, a week or so ago that the, the pre- preliminary results of their study to update this 1996 information concludes that uh, it may contribute to uh, the erosion of hand-flying skills by pilots that become uh, weaned onto automated systems. Uh, it accounts for about 60% of the accidents reviewed by the research team. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like I flew 1,500, 1500 hours in a Comanche and a lot of bad weather where I wished I had an autopilot and it was always a pleasure to go up with another pilot and be complimented on my hand flying skills and it, and I wouldn't mention it's not like I had a choice uh, there was nobody else there to fly the airplane and when you plot along hour after hour after hour sunshine clouds uh, bad weather approaches uh, you better be able to do it it's why when I 
test fly airplanes for <laughs> magazine articles. I seldom pay much attention to the automa- automation in it unless it's specifically going to be an article about the autopilot or the flight deck or something like that because how the airplane flies by hand is kind of critically important to how the hand-flying pilot will, yeah. will respond to it in, in a day-to-day situation, let alone crisis. So the... Uh, the uh, 208 pages it took to get to the duh response was duh. <laughs> 208 pages, it was a rehash of a report they did 20 years ago. Yeah, it was a 14, 15. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, maybe we, uh, should, maybe we should think about a variation on the old uh, joke about um, the, uh, the dog and the pilot and the autopilot. Okay. Yeah. The dog biting the autopilot if the um, dog biting the pilot if the pilot tries to touch the autopilot. Yeah. Maybe 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 yeah. we should exchange the dog for a flying snake. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> so Jeb, you're the one that called attention to the fact that AOPA has made or some some iteration yeah. of AOPA has made some comments on uh, a 100 low lead replacement. Uh, yeah, this this what's the story uh, here? What's going this on? was a, an email exchange that uh, was uh, quoted and distributed to the the beach list. This is the beach list is an email list that's been out there a long, long time uh, for uh, Bonanza Baron and, and and other pilots of or pilots of other beach uh, airplanes. And uh, <clears throat> one of the participants had had emailed um, AOPA. Um, just to, I guess to their main customer service email address regarding a um, survey uh, that was posted on the AOPA website uh, regarding um, the replacement of under low lead, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and he got a um, he got a uh, response back um, that was um, I'm just going to say inappropriate. Um, one of the features of the response uh, included uh, something to the effect that. Uh, and, well, let me back up a second here. One of the issues here is um, um, whether a 100 low lead replacement will be of sufficient octane to support the higher powered engines yeah. okay, that are out there in the fleet. Um, basically, um, you know, the bigger, more powerful engines need 100, 100 octane fuel to, to produce full power. Right. Smaller engines... And smaller, lower-powered airplanes can get by with a lower octane fuel, and there's some factions within the community that are 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 saying, well, you know, we we can get by with a lower octane fuel. These guys with the bigger engines and more powerful engines will just have to, re, you know, use reduced power. Okay, and um, yeah. that's yeah, that's right. the wrong answer for so so many reasons. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's this kind of divide and conquer uh, thing going on in some quarters of the community, and and that's kind of a topic for a whole other episode right. of, of this podcast because it's a lengthy, uh, detailed thing. But one point in the in the email response from from AOPA's customer service rep was, you know, basically saying that owners and operators of airplanes with larger engines may wish to put aside some some money. Um, to um, um, upgrade their, you know, equipment or or re-engine their airplanes or or you know things like this when when this new fuel that won't be hundred octane comes out, and obviously that's uh, first of all an inappropriate response. B not something that uh, uh, I think is even AOPA policy, 
and C um, raised a lot of uh, hackles uh, among uh, uh, people who happen to own airplanes that require the, the higher uh, octane fuel. Um, so this this particular um, individual who's uh, on the beach list had had you know seen that and, and basically got got this response back from AOPA, posted it to the beach list. Um, make a long story that uh, short. Try to shorten this long story anyway. Um, there was a an exchange of emails with shall we say higher ups at AOPA, and um, which re- eventually resulted into in a longer telephone conversation. Uh, between these two individuals. I'm not going to mention any names here. Um, and um, the AOPA a, um, person responded to all this, uh, you know, admitted that this particular customer service rep was a little bit off the reservation, um, reassured uh, some people that, uh, no, this was not uh, um, um, AOPA's policy and, and not, not his position and not what they wanted to see, these kinds of things. The the punchline here um, in one of the reasons this is on our list for, of topics to discuss is this came up several days ago, and, and since then the, there's been an ongoing series of, of updates via the beach list uh, on, these, on this topic. Um, we've not had a chance to incorporate the updates here. Uh, the punchline in all of this <clears throat> is that uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty and fear and, and lack of knowledge uh, among the community uh, out there relative to how this 100 low lead replacement issue is developing and how uh, it might come out. Um, without uh, um, uh, naming names, cough, cough, AOPA, um, and, and some other organizations really need to um, use the bully pulpit they have uh, and communicate a little bit um, more uh, often and in greater detail about what's going on uh, with this process and what the objectives are here. Um, there's a lot of um, people uh, and a lot of organizations involved here, um, and uh, no one, no single organization has a lock on the most accurate and most timely and, and uh, uh, most detailed information. Um, anybody who's following this issue is, as I am because I happen to have one of those airplanes that requires a higher octane fuel. Um, anybody who's following this needs to, to get information from a variety of sources. And I would, I would suggest to you that uh, some of these organizations um, uh, and some of the people involved here may not have um, your best interest. You know, I don't know what those interests might be, but they may or may not have your best interests at heart. So we need to well, pay extra extra close attention to some of this. You know, this this uh, you may have to settle for less power with our idea, but we're going to help you spend money to fix that. Right. Was floated by uh, uh, an airplane engine company down yeah. in Alabama, Alabama. Uh, many many months ago. Yeah, and the the adverse reaction to that float. Uh, I figured would have rippled through all the corners of people working in this business to the point where they knew that that was a non-starter. Because here's the thing. Only 70% of the airplanes out there flying can get along on, on 80 octane. About 5% needed 90, 91, like our old Comanche. The rest need 100 octane or better. But those 100 octane flyers consume about 70% of the fuel. 
because they tend to be flying more than or burning more. Than well, they the use, they use more of it. The yeah, yeah, they, they use, use more of it, and, and they're used more often. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this idea that there's some, uh, well, we can create a solution that will cover 70 or 80 percent, and the rest of you guys are just going to have to come on down and join us, uh, it is so wrong on so many levels for so many reasons, like Jeb said. But the very first one is that you can't just derate an engine and consider it the same airplane. Right. You know, everything goes out the window. Your performance numbers, your payload numbers, your climb numbers, your speed numbers, uh, your fuel burn numbers, all that stuff goes completely out the window. I'm talking about, you know, an STC process for hundreds of different engine and airframe incarnations to try to make them worse airplanes. You know, anybody yeah. that's dancing yeah, in those states much, but, go uh, back to the sock hop. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and one of the things here going, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things going on here also, um, when, we're, when we're talking about some of this, we're, we're generally thinking about single-engine piston airplanes. What about twins? Oh, um, yeah. Oh, okay, Be- because um, a lot of their, and, and I'm thinking uh, people operating these, these piston twins in, in 135 operations, for example, a lot of passenger carrying 135 operations, a lot of the... Um, uh, performance uh, calculations uh, involving those aircraft are made to ensure that there's a margin of safety for the passenger carrying operation itself. Mm-hmm. And once you are forced to accept a lower powered aircraft at the same weights, uh, all of that goes out the window. And you're basically uh, in, in an extreme situation. You could be, in fact, grounding those aircraft uh, and preventing them from being used used uh, impact carrying uh, operations or commercial passenger carrying yeah, operations. And I think it's doubtful that they could even be operated at a lower horsepower at the old weights, period. I, I agree. I agree. You know, I, this... I think once this testing is done, they're going to result. Here's the thing. Uh, you know, a, a lot of guys have flown 160 horsepower airplanes of basic airplanes and 180 horsepower versions of basic airplanes. They're same airframe, the only difference in the engine. They may have noticed a difference in gross weight <laughs> and, and gone, wow, this is a stronger airplane because it's a higher gross weight. No, it's got more horsepower. So it can do better on takeoff and climb at a higher weight than the lower horsepower. So just look at the difference between a 180-horse Cherokee or 172 and a 160-horse version <clears throat> And that's what you're going to be looking at anytime you derate a single or a twin, yeah. a lower gross weight. Is this really an issue? I mean, hasn't most people in the industry accepted that we need to address these uh, higher performance airplanes? I mean, this is uh, well. An AOPA guy was off the reservation, and we got uh, a few odds and ends here. But I, it seems here's the here's yeah. the problem as I see it. One, um, any any time we get into a situation like this where there's uh, a need for a change or or, or a need for um, um, redoing or rethinking a, a specific uh, component of uh, the way these airplanes are, are flown and operated, um, especially on a scale like this, uh, there's always somebody out there uh, with a get-rich-quick scheme who says, well, you know, if they have to derate these engines, I've got a I've got a gadget um, that uh, I can sell to to get them back up to their their rated power, 
and um, politics starts getting involved and the money starts to flow and you go back and forth and none of these decisions are made in a vacuum. Uh, the opportunity to influence these kinds of decisions is, is very strong. Um, I'm not pointing any fingers at any specific organizations or people, but that that is just human nature. Okay, um, so what happens is you get into this danger zone where um, you know, ultimately some decisions can be made that uh, um, aren't going to be to the benefit of some segments of the organiz- of the community. And that segment will be in the minority, and we know what happens to minorities. So um, the the point, I think, ir- irrespective of how off the reservation this particular AOPA customer service rep was, the, the concern is that that mindset somehow got into this email communication. And, and this was admittedly a lower-level staffer. Uh, he'd been retrained, yada, yada, yada. Um, Sent Where's to the re-education where, camp. Right. Yes. Where Where did he get this idea? Where, where did because he get this it was, information? It was it, it was in um, circulation earlier in the year. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And that's got to be nipped in the bud for any number of reasons, not least of which is we're all going to sink or swim in this uh, this situation together. Yeah. Nipped in the bud, trimmed at the root, <clears throat> pulled out at the trunk level. Yeah. Burned at the stake. And the ashes scattered in the no freaking way part of the ocean. Uh huh. All right. Tell us what you really think, David. Um, we got two uh, off field landings of the week here, real quickly. Let's see now. We've got one from Jupiter, Florida. Um, this is a. Uh, this is a. This is <laughs> Aren't a, you uh, glad you didn't try to land there? <laughs> oh, oh, okay, folks. That that pun will become clear in just a moment. Um, this story is from CBS12.com. It's a, a, a classic example of a mainstream media story uh, uh, outlet reporting on aviation and giving us an almost content-free story here. Um, but there's a good picture, and that's the key. Um, so Jupiter, Florida, a single-engine plane has crashed, teletype noise, um, has crashed in a rural area west of Jupiter. The pilot, who suffered no serious injuries, uh, briefly told CBS 12 that he was forced into an emergency landing in an orange grove, and the plane flipped over on its roof, uh, roof being a technical aviation term. Um, uh, so he landed in an orange grove, by the way, folks. That's the pun. Think back. You'll get it. Re- rewind. You'll, you'll get it now. Um, anyways, all, all kidding aside, congratulations to this pilot who uh, executed a successful, uh, if messy, forced landing. And uh, um, the, the story is just – the story twice refers to having interviewed the pilot yet never says the pilot's name. Right. Um, and uh, and only gives a vague reference to who owned – it's just like, okay – you, you talked to this guy. You were there. You took pictures. Give us a little bit more information. Um, so some sort of engine failure. I don't know what of what nature. Uh, soon after takeoff or near an airport and tried to go to Tailwinds Airport, but uh, a private airstrip, they say, um, but chose not to. Went down. And, 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 and somewhere in a supermarket, there was a lady freaked out when she reached way to the back of the orange juice rack and came out with a wheel pant. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, we have uh, from Auburndale someplace. Let's see now. This is newschief.com. Uh, looks like it's Florida also. Uh, 
News Chief uh, Auburndale small plane ended up in the drink following an emergency landing in Auburndale on Sunday afternoon, but the pilot escaped from the incident without any injuries. The picture that accompanies this story is kind of interesting because it shows the airplane just kind of stopped setting in the midst of this uh, of this uh, canal of some sort. This is a non-float plane. Yeah, That's I know. Right. So it's in the water. It it, it, it seems to me that it must be sitting on its wheels on the bottom of this canal uh, and the water is up uh-huh. to the bottom of the windows. It's a high-wing uh-huh. aircraft of some sort. It's a Skyhawk. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, uh, Definitely a Skyhawk. Yeah, so pi- the pilot, 64-year-old Alvin Rupel, Rupel of Lake Wales, was forced to bring down his plane four miles short of Winter Haven Municipal Airport after running out of fuel. All right. So I don't know. This is, again, another mainstream media report. You know, you fly around Winter Haven and Lakeland, there aren't and any places to, to make get gas. a forced landing. You got a fifty-fifty shot of winding up wet. That's right. Yeah, That's right. a lot of water out there. That's for sure. Uh-huh. Well, this this is kind of you know exhibit A of the fact that yeah you can land uh, a wheeled airplane in water once. Well, yeah. Although read the story, he didn't land in the water. All right? Yeah, he yeah. landed on the access road that paralleled the water, and for apparently to avoid some obstacle or something. Where is it? It's in here. The story, someplace in the story. Avoid hitting a concrete I, fence. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He, he chose to veer into the water after being on the ground. Probably so. a sound decision. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. concrete. You know, I'm balancing in my hands. Concrete fence, alligators. Concrete fence, alligators. <laughs> <laughs> Jeb, I think your mission is accomplished, dude. <laughs> I, I think we've we finally got to him. You'll never see you'll never see Jack in a pair of swim trunks and flip flops anywhere within the state of Florida ever again. I'm gearing up for another visit down to uh, Hidden River, and I'm thinking real 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 carefully, real seriously about how close I'm going to get to this pond in the back of just, your yard. Just remember. To put the handgun in checked baggage. No, firearms, exactly. Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, congratulations to these two pilots who uh, got themselves down on the ground safely uh, uh, and uh, when they had problems. Good. Yeah, that's right. Everybody walked slash swam or waded away. Yeah. So, What's next here? Uh, so we talked about this last episode, I think, uh, uh, for, uh, having a picture added to your pilot's license. Oh, wait, wait, wait one second. Yeah. Just, just one last thing about... The okay. Mr. Rupel, the, the, this is a concrete reminder of why it's a bad <laughs> idea to try to fly on an empty tank. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's all. It doesn't, you know, you know, they I mean, just get don't, eventually, but, they, uh, they don't do very well on it. Yeah. So don't leave home without more fuel than you need to get where you're going. I know. What did this guy and think he was? A squid or a snake? If you're gonna yeah, really. run, <laughs> if you're gonna run low, run off to a different airport and gas up because you could wind up in an alligator farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm sure I'll get that joke when I listen to the podcast later on. Uh, pictures on pilot's licenses. We talked about this. Is this a different story? Has there been a development in this? Yeah, there's a there's a proposed rule out there. So before oh. it was just kind of they were dropping hints, they were test balloons, they were running well, off the flagpole. But now Congress, it's actually there was congressional action on this some time ago. Right, yeah. and it's all settled. We use our driver's license. Everything's hunky dory. No, uh, wrong. Not, like the, the congressional intent was different. They wanted licenses, pilots' licenses with pictures. And the FAA rationalized itself into before we spend all that money and make everybody go through that, we'll write the rule so that we cover it with your driver's license. But Congress is 
started to kind of notice that the, the pilot's licenses still don't have pictures on them, even though we all just went through this reissue thing to get the new plastic ones, which would have been a good time to take care of this to begin with. Wow, it should have, it sure could have been, you know? You know, man... Sometimes so, so this is gotta, a done deal. We're going to have to get our pic. We're going to go have to get our picture. To, and well, no, we're not. Well, it's, well, it's right now. It's only an NPRM. Right. Oh, okay. So now it's the next level of running it up the flagpole and see if people salute. It's, right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, and and keep in mind also that you know on one level or another the FAA's hands is are kind of tied here in that Congress has mandated this. Um, that still doesn't mean that uh, you know we shouldn't be complaining to the FAA and saying no, this is a bad idea. Just for the record. But the real complaint should be directed to Congress. Um, everybody who's had uh, a ramp check or had their license uh, examined by a law enforcement official, um, uh, other than when they're going for a check ride or, or renting an airplane, raise your hand. Mm-hmm. I, wait, I, there might be one way. Oh, that's John King. There um, you go. Way and back Martha. in the back. And Martha right there, yeah. Uh, but that's about it, Okay. Um, typically I, I, I've been doing this for <coughs> years and I've never, <laughs> I've long. never, I've never had, uh, uh, anyone ask me for my pilot certificate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like you say, other than getting a check ride or, or, renting uh, an airplane. you know, renting an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on this and Get our yeah, pictures ready. Yeah, just so that you all understand, an, an NPRM, Notice of Proposed Rulemaking. Yeah. Rulemaking spelled as one word, but it gets an RM in the, in the yeah. acronym. NPRM means that this is a proposal. So we there can send in comments. There is a link to which you can direct your comments about this. Right. Uh, and tell them what you think and do it in kind, polite terms. But remember, they're really locked in here. Uh, you know, what, what we're looking at in this NPRM is more along the lines of how much they're going to want to charge us uh, and how they're going to try to structure the logistics to get this done. Uh, and, and, and those are certainly, you know, interesting points. Part of the issue here, of course, is someone has to verify that this picture is, in fact, your picture yep. before it goes on the certificate. And the FAA is proposing that either a FISDO uh, inspector or a designated pilot examiner or someone of that ilk would be the one to verify um, that information. Um, There is a question as to whether or not a designated pilot examiner, A, wants that responsibility, uh, but B, the the NPRM notes that the examiner, uh, based on you know the acceptance of that responsibility, certainly would be eligible or able to to charge an additional fee right. in addition to the fee that he or she charges for the check ride or examination itself. Um, so we're talking basically about a passport size photograph, uh, full color, you know, basically the same standards that we would use for a passport. Which kind of leads to the question of, well, why can't we just use a passport? Or why can't yeah. we just use, you know, our driver's license like we're doing now? Um, the, uh, uh, the problem is, of course, that there's this, this statutory mandate. And, and FAA, um, I think to their great credit, has tried to delay this and postpone and obfuscate and, and, and all this kind of thing. Because it's, it's, it's unnecessary. It, we have... Uh, a picture ID requirement already in the rules and the regulations. Uh, this is going to cost more money 
It is going to create more uh, bureaucracy. It is going to create additional hardships on on people uh, to get you know these certificates replaced once again, and. Um, that's where I think our comments should be directed and how they should, how they should be handled. So we should you're saying we should start a pool to see who's going to get the contract, Halliburton or Lockmart, right? Yeah, yeah. That's well, that's part of it also. Yeah. Well, and, and, or, or and Polaroid for that matter. Something to keep in mind here is that for the existence of the Civil Aeronautics Administration and the Federal Aviation Administration, the two agencies that have existed to. Uh, you know, rule on pilot skills, set standards, issue certificates, uh, and so forth. The license, the certificate that we have, has been basically perpetual. And unless we oh, added yeah. a rating, at which point we got a new one. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, under this proposal, because apparently they think we change our looks as we get older. You're going to have to have this redone every oh, eight David, years. I've seen pictures, David. <laughs> <laughs> Photographic evidence is that they're going to require this to be redone every eight years uh, on the outside, unless, of course, you've added a rating that required an updating of your license and, and included a new picture when you did that, which is another logistic thing, uh, like Jeb said, more, more right. issues. But if you, you know, like, get your private, get your instrument, and then just you know fly along fat dumb and happy for the rest of your life uh you know every four biennial flight reviews somebody's going to say oh dude you need to update your pilot's license because that that's an old picture yeah okay you you don't look that good anymore you know, uh, one, one more one more question yeah. slash comment here yeah um yeah. When will the government re- start requiring a background check for the renting of a ride? Yeah, right. rider truck. Thank you. That's right. There you go. All right. That's more than enough on that subject. Let's move on here. Uh, oh, so from this ridiculous, I don't know, from the something to the something here. Jeb, you really think we should all go out and get jobs for the t- with the TSA? I don't understand here. What, well, you, you, what you, link are we talking about? I don't here? know. It says recruiting opportunity. Maybe we should spend. Oh no 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 misinterpreted. No 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 Hit delete backspace. Okay. All right. Well, the GA... This is a recruiting a GA recruiting opportunity. Okay. All right. Well, okay. And I and and I would I would um um well, you didn't be give remiss. Us a link here. So tell us what you're talking. Oh, there's about. no link here. Uh, I would this this comes from a discussion. Um, the idea for this anyway comes from a discussion on the DC pilots list. I spend way too much time on email. Um, uh, where you know people are looking at the uh, the recent brouhaha on uh, these. Um, Full body scanners and, and uh, invasive pat downs going on at, at, at uh, airports around the country. It's courtesy of our, our uh, uh, transportation security administration, saying, you know, this is just a really good opportunity for general aviation as a community, as an industry, to remind um, travelers that there is an option here. They have an option, um, and that's general aviation. Whether they charter, whether they learn to fly, whether they go with a buddy who has an airplane, it doesn't really matter. Um, but this is a great opportunity if it was done correctly and with you know with the appropriate kind of ad and ad copy and and, and this kind of thing. Um, and I don't know why we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, in a uh, conversation with uh, uh, market analysts and reporters. Uh, 
I guess about a week ago, the head of uh, Hawker Beechcraft Corporation, Bill Boister, mentioned that, uh, quote unquote, uh, well, to paraphrase, we love the airlines because oh, yeah. they are our best recruiting tool right now. Right. Uh, and this is it, it traveling last week. Uh, the, the bride and I took a smoker to Atlanta. Uh, there's something really nice about knowing that you're on a on, on a single flight trip and carrying your bag. Uh, it means that you hand it to the ramp check guy. He hands it back to you when you get off the airplane. You don't have to worry about missing a flight. We had an opportunity to see the full body scanner at work uh, when we arrived at Atlanta, Hartsfield, Jackson for the return home. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, watched it, and uh, nobody lit up. Nobody's hair stood on end. Uh, there were no meltdowns. Uh, nobody's junk got touched that we saw, although we did see a couple of pat-downs. They did not look like the enhanced pat-downs that I've seen portrayed on TV. They looked like the standard, eh, we're just going to, but those people had come out of the metal detectors after sending them off. I'm surprised they didn't get to full body scan, whatever. Mm-hmm. Where we had issues was with being 0.4 ounces over the liquid limit on a bottle of shampoo. Uh-oh. Oh, man. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, man. Are, are you on parole yet or what? <laughs> well, know. It, you know, I was really glad that they were short of KY uh, and out of blue gloves. So uh, well, we, we got out good. okay, but we did get a lecture about being 0.4 ounces over the limit. Don't even. It was it was point four uh, over the limit of KY jelly to begin with. Wasn't oh, it? No, 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 <laughs> and, no, 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 no. And and my bride Annie is in a separate line, and and I can see the action going over there while I'm waiting to have my bag rescanned because I was point four ounces over on my head and shoulders bottle. Uh, there's one TSA lady that's telling my bride, "You got to push this stuff through yourself," while another guy. On the other side of her is holding it back, scolding her for pushing the stuff through, <laughs> like she's told. And what day did you travel, David? Sunday. This was Sunday evening. Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, I just got back Sunday. from a trip. I, I, I traveled on Wednesday, um, which was an interesting day to travel. The, the day before Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Um, which is historically the they call it the busiest travel day in the in the year, um, and. Uh, um, I not only traveled on that day, I traveled back from Canada on that day, oh, um, taking two flights. I came back from – I was at a cool place, by the way. I don't know if we would talk about this on the podcast. Maybe we should, I should tell you the story later on. But I was literally at the edge of the earth. I Look at a map. Look where St. John's Newfoundland Labrador oh, yeah. is. Right? Oh, yeah. That's, oh, where yeah. The, that's where the earth ends. Yes. It actually I mean, falls off you, into space right there. It could be, man. I mean, I've never been that far out on the edge of civilization. I mean, basically, that's as far as you can go. You can't go any further. you got to mm-hmm. go four or 5,000 miles before you get to some more civilization. Um, actually, you can go up to Greenland and Iceland, and they've got some nice little pockets of humanity up uh, there. I, I would imagine. But this is, And by the way, I should say, St. John's Newfoundland, very cool town i really oh it's a lovely it. place yeah uh, you've been there yeah have you really yeah. i have yeah been. yeah i was passing through did an ron there on a 91 flight in a dash seven. Oh, that's right yeah you guys and all your transatlantic stuff so, yeah right of course yeah um yeah very cool so did you actually stay over or did you stopped at the airport and get gas uh, we are all in we we stayed overnight yeah uh, okay they apparently have like you know like 
Canada's Bourbon Street is called George's Street in downtown St. John's. Um, you know, very, very active music community and uh, more mm-hmm. restaurants and bars and re- hotels. I was astounded to, to arrive at this, what I thought was going to be a, a, a small town on the edge of the, uni- edge of the earth. Um, apparently, it's an oil boom town these days, a petroleum boom town. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and to wrap up on TSA being a great recruiting for GA, we'll yeah. have a little link in the show notes of a uh, a little bit of satire built on the TSA pat-down regimen right now that uh, borrows a whole lot from Frank Sinatra's Come Fly With Me yeah. <laughs> called Come Fly With, with me. me. That's right, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it, it'll only eat up about three and a half minutes of your time if you got the bandwidth and the, and, and the time to kill. It's really a hoot. Yeah, it is. The reason I was thinking about St. John's is that uh, on the, on the, the busy travel day on Wednesday, I had the uh, the pleasure of going through airport security not once but twice on that day. Uh, I went through Canadian security, and uh, normally you don't necessarily need to go through security once you're back in the states. But but I went through Customs and Immigration in New Jersey. And Customs and Immigration dumps you out into the regular concourse. So then you got to come back in again. Right. And here's an interesting distinction. All right. In Canada. So I, I'm, I'm walking through security in Canada. I call it Canadian TSA. I'm not sure what they call it up there. But uh, um, and I and I get up and I've noticed that other people aren't taking off their shoes. And I'm going, what the heck? And I asked the aide, the, you know, the uh, security agent there. I said, do you need me to take off my shoes? And she kind of leans over the counter and looks at my feet. And she says, well, not unless you want to. All right. <laughs> No, I don't particularly want to. Okay, so I actually got to go through security without taking off my shoes. What a concept! All right, and uh, um, so, uh, but but I think it was karma that I wasn't going to get to go the day without taking off my shoes because I then got went through U.S. uh, uh, airline security, airport security, and they of course did make me take off my shoes. So, anyways, the circle was complete. didn't turn out to be that bad a travel day, by the way, and uh, and I did not, uh, contrary to your story, did not come across one of these X-ray gadget machines, full body scan things. It was all very routine as far as these things go. Okay, uh, and later on I'll tell you about how I almost got deported from Canada, but that's another story altogether. Well, I mean, I came. No. Not, I'm not joking. I came this I, close from getting deported. It was I'm, really I'm, interesting. I'm I'm shocked. Yeah, <laughs> dude, so, dude, yeah, that's that's that that takes another podcast because. It's hard to get deported from Canada. Yeah, well, I almost did it. I was really close. Um, anyways, so... I know. Uh, you took off your shoes. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> apparently, my papers were not in order in order to be working in Canada. Your it's, papers were not in order? Well, let's not even go there. It's not an aviation podcast thing. Um, maybe I'll tell the story in the forums. Um What's your next papers, here? please? We yeah. would like to see your papers, please. That's, you know, he was a very friendly guy, uh, and in the final analysis, was very, very accommodating. But he thought well, he, he gave it some real, real serious thought on whether they were really going to let me into Canada. Um, I'm trying to figure out what's next on the list here. Quickly, quickly, quickly! Shout outs. Oh, are we really to that by now? Oh no, I don't know. I don't know. That was we're going to jump ahead here. Let's look I don't have the here. master uh, clock, so I'm not sure. Um, where we Air France is going to start looking for the black box again. Is that interesting, yeah. Jeb? It, it, it's just a marker. I put it on there just because we, we you know, it's been a perennial story for us. And uh, uh, let me re- reload this link here. Um, um, Air France KLM group repeatedly raised concerns about it. That's right. Um, a strong story. 
Which story we talking about? Um, uh, anyway. Um, here I am muttering on the podcast, and yes, I don't have anything to say because oh, no, no, no. Lower, I lower down find, black box search. find the money graph in this story. Um, Transport Minister Theory Mariani yesterday gave the go-ahead for a fourth black box hunt to begin in February. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, it says the BEA yeah. has spent about um, $40 million uh, in three previous searches. But as you suggested a long time ago, Jeb, they're not going to give up on this. They're going to find No, no. That, 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 that's, that's a big, big question mark. It, it, every time one of those 330s crosses in bad weather, there's guys at Air France and Airbus kind of going, please don't let it happen again. We don't know what happened the last time. Yeah. Of course, I, you know, I, ha- I have two words uh, for uh, those concerned about crossing the Atlantic um, um, at or below, just around the equator. Two words. Yeah. Max Conrad. There you go. Uh, you're going to have to explain that one to me. I'm okay. sorry. Max Conrad, back in the 50s, was, yeah. uh, um, maybe early 60s, was a uh, um, a, a pilot. He, he did a lot of long-distance flying. He did some round, some of the first, I won't say first, but some of the more notable um, round-the-world flights in GA aircraft. Um, and, of course, Dave knows who he is because Max Conrad flew a Piper Comanche That's right. um, on all these trips. And... Uh, <clears throat> Um, I think that one of his more memorable um, uh, flights was um, um, from Africa t- to uh, South America, nonstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Of course, nonstop, of course. But um, um, he, he did a lot of that back in that in that era. And uh, um, Google it or, or look it up somewhere else, and, and you'll you'll get uh, I'm sure a lot of information on Max Conrad. All right. And that was all in the days before GPS and, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and uh, data link. And uh, when you were out over the southern Atlantic, halfway between Africa and Brazil, you were halfway out in nowhere, yeah. or all the way into nowhere. Oh, you, you, were, you were on your own. You were trusting in God and light coming. Yep. And, and speaking of old stories that continue to have some legs, uh, the... Uh, Embraer Legacy 600 uh-huh. yeah. was involved in the uh, mid-air collision over Brazil with the Gol Airlines uh, uh, 737 in September of 06. Came back to the United States this past week. Final. Uh, Final. So has, has it been like sitting on a ramp down there the whole time? It's just... Yes. Yeah. It's been sitting I, I, on which... a ramp at a jungle airport the entire four fracking years. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, which which I did not realize. I, I figured somehow it had gotten repaired and flown home to the U.S. and was in service somewhere. It just never dawned on me. I figured that, it had been recovered someplace for the yeah. purposes of investigation. Yeah. And was still there because the criminal case is continuing against well, the Well, there's pilot. that, too. Yeah. There's uh, that, too. Apparently, it, it was sitting there uh, at Eduardo Gomez International Airport. Well, it got moved to Manaus. Uh, from this jungle military strip where it made the emergency landing. And then it sat there and for years, all those years, until a crew spent weeks uh, basically getting it into ferry condition uh, and uh, brought it back to Cleveland, Ohio, where they're going to finish refurbishing it and putting it into service with a new owner. 
Yeah. It really kind of um, remarkable. Yeah, it is. Um, and and they're talking about uh, although it's it's it was variable. Um, they're talking about you know how the the uh, human environment had just really crashed the avionics. Um, the engines were were checked out thoroughly, bore scoped and and whatnot. Uh, probably going to have to put a new wing on it, which is not an insubstantial uh, expense. But uh, the, I guess the, one of the amazing things here, it, the insurance company basically wrote off the airplane. Uh, yeah. Brand new brand new Legacy 600, uh, wrote it off. Uh, thank you very much for playing. Um, and whoever, and the story goes into some detail on this, but um, the people who, who bought the airplane and are refurbishing it and want to operate it and whatnot, apparently... Um, uh, this is all economical to them. Replacing a wing on a, on a Legacy 600 is is an economical proposition after all of this. So, mm-hmm. uh, um, I don't know. I don't know. But it's yeah. it'll be interesting uh, um, to to figure you know to kind of track this airframe over the years and and see yeah, how really. it does. Put the tail number into uh, yeah. FlightAware and see what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I know. Um, I, I don't know if I really want to get into this, but I will. So some lost soul has once again wandered into the Washington, D.C. restricted area. Dun, 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 dun. No. But don't worry, everybody, because, uh, you know, the the world, the government is safe. It, nothing came of it. And, um, and, and, and there are, now hold your applause, yeah. there are new intercept procedures. Well, that's why we're all Be, safe. Because the old ones... For what the old ones didn't work. Yeah, military guy shows up off my left wing, and I'm not going to follow him. Yeah. I mean, whiskey tango foxtrot. But we've got new <laughs> intercept. So. Yeah, no. So seriously, what's the nature of the change in these intercept procedures? You know, I looked at them side by side, and for the life of me, uh, I think it's just in the wording of how they instruct you to respond. Uh, you know, others can take a look and correct me. I, I saw two things. Yeah, yeah I, I saw two or three things here going on. One is better graphics. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that, so, that, so that's true. That's true. Better graphics. Um, one of the things going on here in the graphics is they are clearly, <clears throat> clearly showing uh, that a, an intercept here involving two fighter aircraft, one of which pulls alongside the intercepted aircraft, the other one stays behind it in firing position. Yes. Okay. There you go. Okay. okay. Which is uh, um, okay. I get the. I get that. Um, another item here is is when they're talking about, uh, and I don't know if this is new or not, but again, new graphics, uh, this kind of thing, helicopter intercept procedures, and yeah. they're basically showing a um, a light aircraft um, being intercepted by a helicopter. And they are one of the things that they stress here is that uh, in order to maintain safe aircraft separation, it is incumbent upon the pilot of the intercepted aircraft not to fall into a trail position, i.e. directly behind the helicopter, if instructed to follow the helicopter. This is because the helicopter pilot may lose visual contact with the intercepted aircraft. So important safety tip here. If you're in, if you're in a light GA airplane and you're intercepted by a helicopter, um, and you follow the helicopter off to to get your paperwork checked. Um, put the, the airplane out to the side in a position that the helicopter pilot can see you throughout the rest of the flight. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Which you very not, much for playing. Not inconsequently, keeps you out of the rotor wash. Yeah, I was thinking the air back there has got to be pretty ugly too. Yeah, it's got to be pretty rough. Yeah. 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 Um, I haven't. I, I will confess. 
to not having looked at the published intercept procedures uh, in some time. But I see, I do see a lot of things here that are, are relatively new, or, or I'll say that uh, I was not aware of, or was not did not remember from the previous time I looked at these procedures. Yeah. Well, so, I'm looking something at the basic intercept procedures tip card, which is yeah. you know the nice size, uh, which which I always have on my desk. Uh, actually, you know, and I, and I carry one next to my driver's license and one in my log book. And, uh, yeah, one but, right next to the title and registration of my truck. Yeah, but do you have your picture on it? That's what I want to know. Yeah, that's... Well, that's you know, it, 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 I, I do, but it's an old picture. Yeah, okay. Shout-outs. Now we'll do shout-outs. Now we'll do shout-outs. Okay, now we'll do shout-outs. Let's see now. Uh, who wants to go first? David, what do you want to talk about here? Well... We we talked a little bit after uh, Sun and Fun uh, about the Recreational Aviation Foundation. Uh, they uh, had a big kickoff at, uh, at at Sun and Fun this year. That's an organization that supports backcountry strips and flying into backcountry strips and camping and so forth. Uh, well, the RAF has been around long enough now that they're advertising for a uh, executive director position as a full-time staff job with the RAF. So having looked at this and realizing just how underqualified I am, I thought I'd pass on this job opportunity to any of the other aviators in our, in our uh, uh, listening audience who might uh, fit the, uh, the requirements. The link to the, uh, the site with the job description will be, uh, be in the show notes. Uh, but uh, this is a serious job with serious responsibilities in, in, in a position that would help you promote and support uh, general aviation, general aviation pilots, and, and backcountry airstrips. So, yeah. yeah, it's uh, quite an organization. I, I joined them back when I, at the last spring in, at Sun and Fun. And uh, um, although it's primarily an organization that's active in the Rocky Mountains, particularly the right. northern Rocky Mountains, like Montana in that area, it seems to me. Um, they actually have uh, have sort of chapters or, or um, groups all over the country. Um, in p- my particular case, um, there's one up here in northern New England that's pretty active trying to preserve backcountry airports up in northern New Hampshire and Maine and, and Vermont and whatnot, and, and southern New England as well. But uh, interesting organization. And uh, if you're the guy you should or gal, you should uh, get in touch with them about this job. Yeah, this is a seri- serious Serious opportunity for a serious mm-hmm. job with a lot of fun potential. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if you think you've got the chops and the skills, take a look and weigh it against that. And uh, if so, shoot them off a resume. But yeah, don't right. be tardy because I imagine they'll get a lot of resumes for this job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suspect so. Heard from our buddy Dave Schalbetter, um, who I will now actually hear again. He's never-endingly tickled by my reaction to alligators. He's he a, <laughs> a lifelong Florida boy. Uh, these alligators are, you know, just like are like mosquitoes to him. I, no I, I like them really close, breaded, warm with yeah. a honey mustard dipping sauce. Every time we talk about alligators on the podcast, I get an email or something from from Dave, um, who just is tickled by my reaction to alligators. Anyways, we got I heard, I heard uh, on a different subject from Dave recently, I think we all did, um, that they are gearing up to uh, uh, start telling people and getting people excited, as if we're not already, about uh, Sun and Fun 2011. 
And uh, one of the ways they've done this is uh, Dave Schellbetter, who, of course, is the head of, of uh, Sun and Fun Radio during the uh, fly-in and throughout the rest of the year as well, um, have recorded a, a special uh, edition interview with John Burton, the president of the fly-in, and talking about what's what's coming up and what's, what's going on. And uh, Dave has asked us to, uh, to tell people about it and point you to that, which we are glad to do. So uh, um, if you're at all interested in what's coming up for Sun and Fun 2011, you should go to uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. I'm not sure if there's an easy way to direct you to this, um, but uh, you might be able to just Google Sun and Fun 20,000 is coming or Chats from the Deck is the name of the I was going to say that link that uh, starts with Dave Schalbetter. Yeah, That'll take you right to the page where you can download true. the if you go to, if you MP3. Go to Dave, yeah, the problem is we're going to have to spell his name. Dave Schalbetter, uh, S-H-A-L-L-B-E-T-T-E-R. Dave we'll, we'll, we'll put a link in the notes, right? com, and you'll get all of the uh, Sun and Fun Radio uh, uh, archive stuff there. So uh, check it out. Check it out. And yeah, Dave, I know I have an odd reaction to alligators. There it is. And, and, and here's a hint for the, to, the, the poster for Sun and Fun 2011 shows airplanes that look suspiciously like Blue Angels. Ooh, yeah, there we go. The other, the other thing to keep in mind here, um, for those who um, regularly attend Sun and Fun or, or maybe thinking about doing so this year, um, generally, Sun and Fun is held in, in um, uh, early to mid-April. This year, it starts in March, March 29, to be exact. So uh, if you're thinking about it and you know you have until April before you have to pack up and get down here, eh, you're wrong. You need to get down here in March. That's true. It's early. Don't let it fake you out. Other shout-outs? Uh, I'm going to toot my own horn here. Go ahead. Yeah, I hate to do it. Um, wanted to thank everyone here at Hidner for um, last weekend's – was it last weekend? Yeah, I think it was. Last weekend's spot landing contest in Picnic. Oh, how'd uh, this go? Yeah, flower bombing and, yeah. and the whole nine yards. Um, I won. You? Uh, no way. I weigh. You, you beat the champ. The, the, I was about to call him the champ guy, which is another guy altogether. Yeah, you, you beat uh, our friend Dave and his champ. I would have figured he had nailed the sucker. Beat, beat Dave and the champ. Beat everybody in a borrowed airplane. Oh, really? In a bar? Very impressive. A 172 by any chance? 172. Uh-huh. Well, congratulations. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm not terribly surprised, by the way. I'll, I'll toot you no. a little bit to oh, say that, that, that when we flew to uh, – I've always been impressed by this. I've told this story before. That when I flew with you to Sun and Fun a few years back, all right, uh-huh. and they told us to land on the whatever, green dot, all right? I mean, man, you squeaked the wheels right on the green dot, all right? And didn't bounce them. You've planted them, all right? I was – that you – so – Wow! Congratulations, spot landing, huh? I'll, I'll take, Wait, yeah, I'll take luck over skill any day. <laughs> <laughs> but did you drop any flower bombs on your alligator? I didn't. I did not drop any flower bombs. Um, um, I uh, was so surprised and in shock um, that I started drinking immediately. <laughs> Well, I'm glad. The only time I ever tried a spot landing contest, my flower bomb went off. 
So. <laughs> All right. On that note, I, I don't even want to know where that I know. came. Uh, I'm assuming that's the end of shoutouts. We're done. We're done. Yeah, I'm We're done. Yeah. Stick a fork in it. Thank you, boys. It's been fun as usual. Thanks for getting up early in the morning here on a on a Friday morning right after Thanksgiving. Um, Dave Higdon is a uh, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, DaveHigdon.biz, AEA.net, AvBuyer.com. Do a Google search and ignore the uh, theoretical physicist and the golf writer. And the rest of the stuff will probably be me. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the Internet, Jeb? I'm just still hung up on this whole concept that there's a theoretical physicist named Dave Higdon. But uh, um, Google me if you want, uh, or you can go to jeburnside.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, aea.net, or the FBI's 10 Most Wanted. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Roy Searle, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Uh, We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that wiki, is at wiki. uncontrolledairspace.com. Uh, David, Beat me. what were you going to say, David? Live long, be an old fart, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Happy TD, AMFFM. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.